0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, That is at the end of your Bible, about 100 pages in. We are in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. And we've been making our way through this book, and it has been deeply meaningful to me. And I hope it's been... Encouraging and enriching for you, but we are going to pick up here in chapter four. Let me get my sermon notes out. I want to just write it up here. We're in chapter four, and we are looking at the first five verses of chapter four. And the title of what we're looking at is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Paul sets us an example here that I think will help us to forget more about ourselves and grow as free and eager people to serve and love the people around us. So let's read these verses and pray, and then we'll start looking at this together. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each will receive his commendation from God. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray, as we look at this, that we would be reminded, that we would be strengthened, that we would be corrected and adjusted to see our identity in Jesus. And Lord, that it would powerfully change us to be people who are free and eager and loving, just like him. Would you work among us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Identity is a big, uh, a big topic these days, right? In uh, cultural conversation, our identity and how we think about ourselves, our identity and how we think about who other people are, our identity is a big deal, right? If it's um, right, your political identity, how you identify politically and how you vote and well, I'm conservative, but I'm not that conservative. I'm liberal, but I'm not that liberal. I'm this type of political and politically involved, but don't associate these people with me because that's not my identity, right? Or it could be our sexual identity, how we think about our sexuality, um, our lifestyle identity. I'm, I'm a minimalist, right? Or I'm a this, right? Whatever, what's your name on the Netflix show? What? Mary Kwandu. Mary yeah, yeah. The girl knows her stuff, but I'm just saying, like, that could be your identity, you know? Or you could be your, your BuzzFeed quizzes, right? How many BuzzFeed quizzes have you taken? I've seen them on Facebook, so don't lie, right? Um, right? Which Disney character are you? Right, that's your identity, right? Which Taylor Swift song are you? Which, this one kicked me. Which piece of Ikea furniture are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, how does that get at my identity, Right. Anyhow, all those things, right, they're at this basic question of, who am I? What, what am I about? Who is my core person? Who am I, right? It's not just that I'm a person who wears a red plaid t-shirt, but deep down, who am I as a person, right? What is my identity, right? And that's, that's a question that maybe all of us wrestle with. I don't know if you, if you wake up like me, and in the morning, there's an anxious fear that I now have to figure out my identity today. It's a fear that I live with and it's a, fragile, it's a fragile reality to constantly be having to figure out what's my identity? Who am I? What does it mean to be me? right? This, uh, this obsession with trying to figure out ourselves never ends, does it? Maybe we don't wake up in the morning thinking about uh, how am I going to figure out my identity today? But there is this nagging sense that we all feel, right? Through the day or in the morning or at night. Am I good enough? Did I accomplish enough? Did I prove myself today? Or why am I not like so-and-so in comparisons? How am I not like them? Why are they like that? And they seem to kind of have no worries where i live with crippling anxiety about that area. Right, this is, this is us trying to develop And construct our own identity—the void that drives us—that something about us, this something figuring out our identity—is something that is incredibly broken, and that we all know needs to be fixed. Our freedom, our self of our our self identity is very fragile, isn't it? Isn't it? It's um, if we're trying to constantly prove ourselves, well, there's always tomorrow that we have to prove ourselves again but what if our identity, what if our sense of self is more like our toes than anything else, right? None of you have thought about your toes this morning unless they hurt on a regular basis, but now you are thinking about your toes, right? <laughs> all 10 or nine of them, right? They're all, they're all down there. What if our sense of identity is like our toes where it's supposed to function and be a part of who we are and to be a part of how we live and serve and are a, par- are a person but not really intended to draw our attention to himself, right? Our toes generally, unless they're broken, don't draw attention to themselves. What if our identity is like our toes? They're functioning, but not, uh, not drawing attention. Right? This passage actually has an invitation for us into that reality. Maybe this seems you're reading the passage and you're hearing me introduce this passage, and you're like, how do these connect But you have to remember, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this letter, he was having to defend himself to his friends, he was having to correct his friends, he was having to readjust how they thought about him. And yet, at the same time, the Apostle Paul, in this passage, has a freedom about him, a freedom where he's not defensive or dismissive, he's just who he is. And he's not overly obsessed with making sure that people get it right about him, or even that he has the right picture about himself. But he is who he is in Jesus, and he's inviting us in this pattern of how he thinks about his own identity as a person, to think about our, own, our identities to be people who are freed from obsession to self, to a freedom of self-forgetfulness. Right? If This is the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is that the gospel frees us from managing our identity. The gospel frees us from managing who we are. The gospel frees us from having to prove who we are. The gospel that is what Jesus has done for us on the cross, what Jesus did outside, on a little dusty hill outside of Jerusalem. What he did there is a gospel way, is a way to sh- that our identity is not based on what we do or what we've done or even what we, what's been done to us. Right? Only Jesus frees us to stop managing our identities, right? This isn't going to be a mantra that we all kind of gather together around and say, we are free. Actually, this is a reality of what Jesus has accomplished that's going to free us to stop managing our identities. I just want to acknowledge first up, before anybody accuses me of plagiarism, um, as you guys know, um, my, my pastor uh, I, the guy I want to be like in all of my life and who I wish would adopt me, right? Tim Keller, right? This little book, The Freedom of self Forgiveness." if you feel like, oh, that was a really clever title. I'm just really clever at, you know, stealing things from other people, right? If you can't, if you can't make, you just remix, right? You know, so this is a remix. <laughs> but I will say this is all my, my uh, thoughts and outline and all that stuff. But if you were thinking... What we talked about this morning, I really want to dig into that more. I want to revisit this. This is like four bucks on Amazon or a dollar on your Kindle, you know, download the app, put it on your phone for free or whatever. Get this, revisit it. This uh, this book has made a drastic impact in my life. And so we're going to be quoting from this book as we move forward. But this passage is at the core of how we can find freedom from managing our identities and, and living on this hamster wheel of, can I prove myself? So if the main point of this passage is the gospel frees us from managing our identities, how does it do that? Well, the first thing that we're going to be looking at is the gosp- gospel freedom causes us to reorient towards our work. So we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 to reorient towards our work, right? Verses 1 and 2, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Right? So, Paul, Remember, Paul's being attacked, and he's not just being attacked for, like, hey, you sold us a bad product, um, bad Google reviews for what you've done, (laughs) right? Paul has their pastor. He's the one who helped start the church and plant the church and help them grow in Jesus. And he moved on to go plant other churches, start other churches, and then other pastors and teachers came along, and they start saying, like, yeah, but Pastor Pastor Paul, like, he kind of... He kind of drowns on when he preaches, or he's not really that exciting, you know, like he's smart, but he's not wicked smart, you know, like he's not that great, and they've been undermining him, and the way Paul comes after them and addresses it, like, here's how you should think about my work as a pastor, right, he says, I'm a steward of God, right, I'm a steward, right, so I kind of don't care, that's <laughs> kind of what he's saying, right, but we don't, we don't really know what stewards are these days, stewards, when you think of stewards, how many think of flight stewardesses, right? <laughs> Right. that's not what Paul's thinking of flight stewardess is not what he's thinking of right a stewardess basically you know they uh, they're a bit regimented on where you sit and keeping the bu- buckle on how you're supposed to keep the buckle on and they bring you sodas and then you land and you move on a steward of what Paul's talking about is this old school idea of basically you'd have a master of an estate right some guy who owned a big piece of property and that property needed work it needed, crops grown on it. It needed crops harvested. It needed cattle. It needed, you know, animals to do their animal thing on it. Like, what do I know? I don't know anything about animals. But, you know, it needed somebody to tend to the estate. But the master, he had other things to do, right? He had other things to acquire, go things to do. Um, So he put a steward in charge. A steward managed what belonged to the master. A steward said, was given pretty, pretty big leeway. You can do what you want. Plant crops here. Do this. Here's the mission of what we're trying to accomplish. And the steward made it happen. Right? Anybody seen Lord of the Rings? Right. Lord of the Rings. All right. So remember the steward of Gondor, right? That guy who like, turns all like weird and creepy at the end, right? He, he was the steward under the king who did what the king was. When the king was away, he managed the kingdom, right? So Paul's saying pastors in a certain way are, like, they're stewards, right? I don't add to God's word. I don't take away from God's word. I just tell you. Here's what God says, and here's how we live in this together. But he's setting us a pattern, right? Because not everybody in this room is a pastor, right? Maybe there are pastors in this room. We haven't figured it out yet. I'd love to figure that out with you. But, stu- but stewards is a description for what all Christians are, right? We have been given God's grace. Remember at the beginning of the book where he says, the grace of God has been given to you, right? He's given us gifts. He's given us strength. He's given us a way of being in him, And he's called us to be a steward, right? To steward who we are and what God's done among us. And maybe some of you feel like that's not incredibly impressive. Like stewardship sounds great, but you're talking about stewards of kingdoms. You're talking about stewards of really important stuff. And I'm just a fill in the blank, not very impressive. I remember the first time I kind of... It had this realization. Does anybody remember Boy Meets World, that show, right? Some people are going to be like, you're too old or too young to remember that show. It was a show from the 90s. It, it speaks to my heart. Boy Meets World. Corey, um, Corey Matthews, his dad, Alan, was a grocer, right? And there's this whole episode about how he was struggling with like, look, I'm providing for my family, but at the end of the day, I'm just a grocer, right? But his wife comes alongside him and says, no. Uh, you're not just a grocery. You provide for our family. Look at the family that we have, right? She changed, the, she changed the person that had the authority to make the call, didn't she, in that situation? See, if we're stewards, it's not the product that's the important part. It's the authority. It's the person who sits over us that's the important part, right? That's the one who gets to call the shot on the value of our work. So what does Paul say? Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, right? If we're stewards that are be found faithful, not stewards that have produced a lot of work, God looks at us and says, you know what? You may have failed at that. That may have failed that project, but that's not where your identity lies. I'm the one who gets to call the shot on the value of what you've done. I'm the one who gets to call, make the final verdict on the value of what you've accomplished. I'm the one who gets to call the shot... On the value of what you are doing. Right? There is a higher court than what we can see with our work and its value. Right? God, if He is the master of our work, He looks at us and He says, You know, I see your faithfulness at the end of the day. Whether you've accomplished great things or provided for your family, or you've done your best and your family's on food stamps. He sees the faithfulness. right? Keller uses this example. Of all people that could be called successful, Madonna, right? Crazy talent, incredibly gifted. This is a quote from Madonna about reflecting on her career. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That it always pu- that is always pushing me. I push past. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I still feel mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else." Right? So she's talking about, I have to constantly prove that I'm a special person. Because even though I become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle never ended, and I guess it never will. Right? She is talking about if you find your identity in what you produce and do, what you accomplish at the end of the day, if that's how you find your identity, you will constantly, with Madonna, constantly feel like you have constantly got to prove yourself. Right? It is an unending hamster wheel of proving and finding my identity. Right? Working to find our identity in what we do will never work. Right? And Madonna can teach us to be self-aware. That's one of the things that she can do. Are we self-aware that, you know, I'm trying to prove myself and find my worth and my value and what I've accomplished and done. I'm trying to find my identity there and it will never work. So before we move on, right, the way the gospel frees us from managing our identities, right, if we've failed or we find that our work is frustrating or we find setbacks, we often take it personally, don't we, right? How many, let's ask this question, right? Do I get frustrated when my work fails because it says something about me? If We assess at the end of the day, the reason I'm really angry right here because this project didn't work or this accomplishment didn't work or I didn't make this money or whatever, do I feel that because my identity is wrapped up in what I do? Maybe we need Paul's assessment here to say, you know what? I need to see myself as a servant, as a steward of God. And the best that I can be, that be said about me is God saying that you've been faithful, not the product, just been faithful. Even when our effort, efforts fail, God sees our faithfulness. But if it's not our work, maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't feel like, yeah, I don't really find my identity in my work. That's not me. Maybe that, work does, maybe that doesn't describe you, but what about the other people around us or ourselves, right? So Paul goes from talking about finding our identity with our hands but what about finding our identity in our hearts? Right? That's where we're going to turn next in verses three to four, right? The gospel gospel freedom causes us to displace our judges, right? So we've not only reoriented, reoriented towards our work to say our work will never give us an identity, but what about the people around us or ourselves? Just going to read the, let's read these verses, and I wonder if you pick up maybe a whiff of what you might call arrogance in these verses. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. <laughs> right? Is that, is, is Paul being like arrogant there? Like, you know, I don't know, if you have one of these tattoos, where you say, only God can judge me? Like, has he got one of those tats on his back? Right? Is that how Paul's, like, thinking? Like, look, I, nobody can judge me. No, nobody says anything about me. Right? Is that how he is responding here? They're, they've got beef with Paul, and he's saying, like, look, nobody can judge me. Only God can judge me. Right? It's not that Paul doesn't want to grow and get better. Right? It's not like Paul can't get received criticism. Like, hey, you know what? That email you sent out? it could have been a little different. Like, that's not the type of thing Paul's talking about. He's talking about the value of who he is as a person. And he's saying that your opinion of me, my opinion of myself, doesn't shape who I am. So what what is Paul getting into here? He doesn't swing towards self-esteem, does he? He doesn't say, you guys are all against me. Um, Here's how I'm going to make sure that I'm healthy internally. (laughs) I'm like with Stuart Smiley, right? You guys never seen that SNL skit, right? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me, right? Is he doing that in the mirror every morning? No. Because Paul raises the stakes. He's not just saying, "Uh, you guys are wrong, I'm a great person. Verse 4, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. But he says, but I'm not thereby acquitted. See, this this is a weird part. Is Paul a psycho? Because if anybody knows the New Testament, they know what's the story of Paul in the book of Acts, right? He was oppressing and fighting the church, right? He was actually actively going against the gospel. He was saying the gospel is not God's way of following God and knowing God, right? He was persecuting the church, right? So what is Paul... So he's saying on the one hand, I don't have anything against me. There's no charges against me. But then on the other hand, right, if you remember from 1 Timothy, okay, we can throw that verse up here. 1 Timothy, here's where Paul says... He talks about the other side of the story, right? I thank him who judges, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has, notice that word, judge, judge me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer. Oh, here, now he's throwing out some beef. Persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This thing is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom that I am the foremost. So how do you put that verse, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, right next to, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. How do those go together from the same person? How do those statements get said about the same person, and he's not instituted, right? Not put in a psych ward. What Paul is saying here, to close out verse 4, it is the Lord who judges me. You see, at the end of the day, Paul says those things that are true about him, he does not identify with himself. Those things that he has, the sin and the opponent, opposition that he's given to the church, opposition to God, the ways he's rejected God... In Jesus, those things are no longer identified with him. Those things are not things that he associates with his identity anymore. Those are not things that he says, those things are true and I have to fear them out and atone for them. No, he says, remember we talked about the cross of Christ in verse, in chapter 2, verse 2, right? The cross of Christ has dealt with those things. The cross of Christ is where those things are associated with, right? That's where Jesus takes on my identity as being an insolent opposer and rejecter of God, somebody who has a beef with God and has opposed God, somebody who has sin. That's where Jesus has taken on that identity. And now Paul says, because Jesus has done that, it's not my identity anymore. That's not my identity. But then on the flip side, he doesn't go off and say, I've done all these great things. All those good things that he's done, those are given to him freely by Jesus. So Paul, he's getting, we're, we're now at the doorway to freedom of forgetting ourselves, right? Because he no longer identifies the things that he has done or could be accused of doing with himself, right? That's why he says there, verse 4, For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. He's saying, there could be things that, are, that I've done. There could be things that I've screwed up. There could be things that I've done wrong. But even those things that I'm not even aware of, that Jesus has taken that identity away from me. And it's no longer an identity of judgment where I sit under the frown of God. He says, verse 4, right? It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who has freed me from my identity with sin. That's where humility before God comes from. That's the identity issue that he's talking about. That's where we displace our judges because... Jesus has taken our judgment. Right, Tim Keller here, we're going to be quoting from him from this little booklet. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. Right? So just so you, the, the nature of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is not to say, oh look, I'm of so much worth or I'm such a horrible person. It's actually to think of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? Right? Have you ever felt when you walk into a room, does this add to my resume for how valuable I am? Does this take away from my resume? True gospel humility means I can stop connecting every experience every conversation with my with myself in fact i stop thinking about myself that is the freedom of self forgetfulness the blessed rest that only self forgetfulness brings that's the pattern that paul is talking about here he's got people who have real problem with him and he has got real issues that he's got to address in them but his identity is not on the line right you The most times where we see our identity kind of come out and, you know, rear its head is in the middle of an argument or conflict. And here Paul says, I don't have to defend myself. I, I actually don't need to worry about this. Because the worst thing that could be said about me is said in the cross of Christ. The worst thing that could be said about the nature of who I am and my identity is said in the cross of Jesus. Whatever it is, the things that I've done, the things that I've I've conspired, the things that I've thought about doing, all those things that Jesus took on in his identity on the cross. It puts my ego into the shade of the cross, and my ego now becomes tamed by the cross. I don't have to manage it. It's been dealt with. That's the beauty of the gospel. You're invited into an identity and into a reality where your need to prove yourself and your worth has been dealt with, right? The cause for shame and guilt are no longer identities for us, but also the cause for arrogance and pride are not connected with us either. Our identity is in Christ, and Christ has taken the pain of our sin. Now, what about, what about the prop? We've talked about things that we would do to get our identity and things that we've done that would be the shame for identity? What about the things that have been done to us? What if you are the victim here? You See, this is where the cross, it's important to remember, the story of the cross was not some private event that happened in a room locked away. Jesus was publicly shamed. Things were done to him that he had no control over. And yet he conquered over them. And he's raised to life and stands in glorious purity, though he was mocked and shamed and abused. That's the identity that you're identified with. So if you have been the victim, if you have been the one who's had things done to them, now the security of your identity rests in somebody who stands glorious and beautiful and worthy, not shamed are touched. See, the other thing that this, that this does for us in displacing our judges is it allows us to take criticism. Remember how we talked about arguments? <laughs> arguments tend to be where we receive criticism pretty, heat, pretty with heat. There's an article that was written back in the 90s by Alfred Poirier. He's a counselor and pastor called The Cross and Criticism, and he says this, A believer is the one who identifies with all that God affirms and condemns in Christ's crucifixion. A believer is somebody who identifies with all that God affirms and condemns in Christ's crucifixion. So, what's true about you? I'm an addict. I'm an adulterer. I'm a liar. I'm somebody that's conspired and deceived other people. I'm somebody that's lived... A double life, I'm somebody that continually struggles and wants the things that are against God. The cross says God's full judgment for that has been, has had its day. It's had its day. Those things no longer have your identity in them. So when somebody comes to you and says, listen, when you said that, that was really painful and hurtful, and that was inappropriate. They don't even know the half of the story of how painfully inappropriate it was for you to say that. So you can receive criticism and say, you know what? I'm free from having to feel like I have to now manage my identity. Oh, we've had this conflict, and now I need to get myself in good graces with you again. No, 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 no. The cross has said everything that could be said about the ways we've screwed up and sinned in our lives. So now I can freely take criticism and say, you know what? Yeah, w- let's work through this. I'm really sorry. I- Please forgive me. But you're asking for forgiveness is not atoning for your sin. What's been the atonement for your sin? The Jesus on the cross. It's been accomplished. So now you can freely invite criticism and, and get feedback. And even if you disagree with it, you can work through it with somebody without feeling like you have to manage your identity with that now. Right? Now I, now I can freely. Now what does that make us into? That makes us into people that are actually humble who want people to in, bring criticism into our lives, not because they're against us, but because we know that God has been for us, which even means the the truest critique of us, Jesus says to that, I know. I own that. The truest critique. I know, I've known that, and I love you. And the greatest compliment that we could ever receive, Jesus says, I know. I gave you the grace for that. So now our identity rests in him because our judges have been displaced and we receive the constant free smile of God so that, that sounds like freedom to me. Does that sound like freedom to you? A, a, an identity that we don't have to, where am I at on the scales? But Paul doesn't end there. That's not where Paul, that's not where Paul leaves us. We're no longer anxious, needing to defend ourselves, but he wants us to have a view forward. From today into this week as we work we just talked about our work we're going to revisit our work right verse 5 gospel freedom causes us to push off our verdicts right if we are the gospel frees us from managing our identity we've now said okay we don't find our identity in our work we don't find our identity in the judges that we fear but now there is still a verdict to come right what do we think about with this verdict therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. So Paul's not saying we don't ever judge or we don't ever have to think about harsh, um, harsh realities, right? I'm just going to look over next chapter 5, verse 5. Paul talks about handing people that are unrepentant about their sin over to the power of Satan, right? That's a pretty harsh statement. And yet he says here... The verdict, the value, the ultimate, the ultimate reward for who we are and what we've accomplished. Do not pronounce a verdict too quickly. Right? Do not judge what will ultimately be judged by Jesus. Now, what is this judgment that he's talking about? When we read this, do you when you read this with me? Who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Maybe it's just me and my own you know, messed up wiring, <laughs> where I read that and I'm kind of like, oh, all the hidden things that I've done, all the nasty things are going to be exposed. That might be what's in view. I think Paul actually has in view, if you see, complete the verse, then each will receive his commendation from God. I think what Paul has in view are actually all the ways that we have served and given ourselves and loved other people that we, at the end of the day, sometimes struggle. Nobody saw it. It's all for Nothing. Nobody, nobody, nobody saw how I cared for that person or nobody saw how I gave myself for my family or nobody saw how I helped somebody or how I served in the community. It was all unseen, and nobody rewarded me. <laughs> Jesus will look at that at the end of the day, and he will call it, He doesn't just say he's going to reward it. Do you see what the word is there? The one, each one will receive his commendation from God, right? It's not just going to be kind of like, hey, you know what, Jacob? I love that you're a pastor. Here's your beachside property. (laughs) That would be great. I'd love that. Actually, what it will be, as God will say, this was my daughter. I saw her faith and her faithfulness amidst the fire and, and trial that she walked through. Nobody else saw it, but I saw the nights of prayer and weeping, and she persevered. And he will say it before the entire world. This was my son. I saw how he was faithful, and he persisted in loving and doing good to those who opposed him, and he'll say it in front of all of his enemies. That's how God will commend, not merely just rewarding, but he will commend. Can you imagine getting a commendation, right? Like, we want resume letters from our professors and our teachers and our co-workers for getting a new job. You know, they write a cover letter for why somebody is deserving of this job. Can you imagine getting a cover letter from God? That's what he has in view here. Then God will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. See, often I find that those things unrecognized, the ways in which I've served and given myself, that's where I struggle with my identity too. I have in some ways tried to subtly in the back door bring in my value and worth that has now been unacknowledged by other people. And Paul says, no, even there, even that, look to God, look to that final verdict for he will pronounce more than anything that you could get from actually being acknowledged for what you've done. See, Tim Keller again instructs us, you see the verdict is in. And now I perform on the basis of the verdict. Because he loves me and he accepts me, I do not have to do things just to build up my resume. I do not have to do things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people to help people not so that I can feel better about myself, not so that I can fill up my emptiness. You see, if the verdict is in that Jesus is all that we are in terms of all that could be said about us in our sin and all that's said about us that God loves about us in Jesus, I don't have to perform and get acknowledged. Now I can just serve. Now I can actually love other people because the verdict is in, right? Other religions, right, they perform so that I will get the verdict, right? Or even my, my friends who are atheists, they perform so that they can be seen to be a good person, right? They are constantly managing their identities so that they get the verdict. But if the verdict of your identity has already been declared in Jesus, you can perform, you can serve, you can love, knowing that there is a freedom, I don't have to manage this. Thank God. Now my identity, now the verdict gives me power to love and serve. And you know what it's like to meet a person like this? You know, this is practical terms. You know what it's like to meet somebody like this? You ever had a conversation with somebody where they're just interested in you and they aren't trying to, like, throw their, their, their things in the conversation? Like, oh, 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 you, you went to the beach? I went to the beach twice. Have you been to this beach? Knowing somebody like this, their ego and identity is in the right place, aren't they? It's like their toes, isn't it? It's functioning, it's serving, but it's not central, is it? They are there to serve you. Somebody has said that the Apostle Paul, one of the things you would have experienced with him is he would have, you would have had his absolute full and undivided attention. Can I just ask as a practical question, how often is this device a way of proving our identity to other people how often is a barrier for us being gospel humble people that love other people. We're trying to prove ourselves to other people with things that we like and post and share. What if we just set it down and gave our full attention to somebody? Because our identity in Jesus says, the best things that could be said about us, he's already accomplished. The worst things that could be said about us in the comment section, good grief, they've already been said. So now let me just you get my attention to somebody here? How do we grow in this? I, I think thinking through this, getting this book by Tim Keller, but I think the Apostle Paul, I imagine he spent prayer, hours of prayer, moments of prayer, seconds, time, thinking through with Jesus. This, I want to find my identity here. In my work, in my acknowledgement, in getting judged correctly by other people, and having my, you know, making an amends for all who I am. Paul sitting down with Jesus in prayer and saying, Jesus, I want my identity to be you plus something. Forgive me. Help me to be my identity as you and only you. Maybe that's something we can be doing today, the things that we've found our identity in this last week things that we know that we're going to be coming up on this next week. So at the end of the day, the point of this passage is the gospel frees us from managing our identity, right? But the positive side of that, the gospel frees us from managing our identity and enjoy all that Jesus' identity is for us. I think that's the pathway of self-forgetfulness. Finding everything in Jesus and not having to think about how we can build up our resume or figure out our identity on our own terms, but just getting more of him. So we're going to continue to worship him and sing about who he is and join him at his table because we want to get more of Jesus' identity in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we we think about what it means to know you and love you and walk with you, I pray that our identity be rooted in Jesus, be found in him, we wouldn't try to build up our identity and our resume with what we do for other people or how we justify ourselves, but we see that, in fact, God, Jesus was judged for us and that the verdict is in, and now we are free in you to love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire.